Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leeds, and welcome to my podcast show, where we discuss all things related to the mind. This episode is a very tough but very important subject that has been on my heart to talk about for a while now. Today, I'm going to discuss the increase in mass shootings and violence in the United States and around the world and attempt to give some solutions based on my years of experience in the mental health field. On February the 14th, what should have been a day of celebrating love turned quickly into a day of loss and devastation. I was beyond devastated to hear of yet another shooting at a school in U.S. Parkland, Florida. 17 innocent children dead. Immediately, people on both sides of the political spectrum started voicing their opinions about what must be done. People on the left shouting for stricter gun control, the right blaming mental health care. We are so busy arguing for one solution that we forget to look at the whole picture and consider there may be multiple solutions to the problem and multiple underlying causes. I have dedicated my life to studying the mind-brain connection, especially focusing on mind issues and everything related to mind issues. The kinds of things I worked on in my practice were learning problems, emotional problems, dementia, ADD, ADHD, autism, traumatic brain injury, and so on. I spent 25 years alongside my clinical practice, working in some of the worst parts of South Africa, training educators and medical professionals and students in schools, helping people with their mind problems and realizing the power of their mind and how we can change our brain and change our life when we use our mind correctly. You could say that my speciality is focusing on the broken brain and the broken communication that results. Since the shooting in Parkland, Florida, I have received so many questions from people asking why do people do this? What can we do? How do we fix this problem? How do we stop this? So here is my answer. First of all, there is no one problem that we're dealing with in the situation and therefore no one solution. We need to look at a variety of factors. Humans, after all, are incredibly complex. I'm going to start with what is the problem? The problem that we're addressing is the frightening, increasing rise of gun violence in the United States of America, specifically in vulnerable areas and places like schools and universities. Just seven weeks into 2018, there have been eight shootings in, the U in, in U.S. schools that have resulted in injury or death. I'm going to argue that there's an underlying cause in the rise of these mass shootings in the United States. So I'm going to come from an angle of the lack of love. As humans, we are wired for love. You may have heard me speak about this concept before, but it's worth repeating. Science shows us neuroscience, quantum physics, the different sciences on the neurophysiology of the body, that we are actually wired for love. That there isn't a single structure in the human brain or body, a single cell, a single protein that isn't wired for healthy thinking, love thinking, positive thinking. It's called the optimism bias in science. There aren't any fear circuits in the brain. There are love circuits in the brain. So we are wired for love and we have to actually learn to fear. Learning is a process that we are doing 24-7 with our minds. In the morning when you wake up, you start reacting to life and you start as you start reacting to life, you start building these signals of life into the structural components of your brain. So with your mind, you're actually changing your brain and then you think about those things and whatever you say and do is coming from the thoughts that you have physically built inside your brain. So we're wired for love and we're wired to build good thoughts. So we're wired to think good thoughts. So we wired as a, hum as a human race to speak good thoughts, to do good actions, because everything that we say and do is not some random event. Everything we say and do comes from something that you have built inside of your brain through your thinking and your feeling and your choosing. So therefore, your reactions. We are literally as humans addicted to love. And this is what research has shown, that the top addiction is love. Love is the top addiction. You know, when we hear the word addiction, we immediately think it's a bad thing. But addiction means consumed by. And addiction, when we are consumed by love, is going in the right direction. But when we have a lack of love, our addictions shift into the wrong direction, which can manifest in all kinds of brokenness. And it starts with brokenness in our thinking, which causes brokenness in our brain, which causes brokenness in, brokenness in our words and our actions. 
Lack of love has unfortunately always existed in society. By lack of love, I mean things like people that have been abused, children that have not been raised with enough love. We get things like people that are not even, that are not touched enough. There's a lot of research studies showing a concept called cutaneous deprivation. The lack of love has always existed in society. That's not something new. People have been, from the beginning of time, making wrong decisions, treating people badly, growing up in environments where they abuse, not receiving enough love adverse childhood events. Life is tough. Life has struggles. And that is lack of love. All the tough things and the terrible, evil and horrible things that happen in life and that can happen to people. But in general, communities have often have stepped into the into the breach and have made up for the lack of love in a child or in young people. So the general approach to life, if you look at history of the history of humanity, is that communities have come around the child who needs a parent or the widow who needs more support or the person who's been through a trauma and we've pulled together, families pulling together. That is the general way that people manage situations. This is a very powerful thing, this entanglement. And in quantum physics, this is actually called entanglement. Entanglement means that everything is in relationship with each other. And entanglement is actually a very, it's a very scientific term. It's a fancy word for relationship. Everything is designed to be in relationship. You know, there's a scripture that blends with this, and that is in him we live, move, and have our being. So we know from quantum physics, and we know from the spiritual side, that as humans, we are connected. And when we're connected in love, we allow healing in each other. But what has happened is a change. There's been a change from this community focus of living, this natural community wide for love focus of living to a more individualistic society. And that means more focus on the individual. So moving away from the community to more of the individual. And the United States is one of the most individualistic countries or individualistic societies. And therefore, there is limited community support for someone who lacks love. When they do seek help, the standard measure in a in a very industrialized, developed country like the United States, the general, and I'm talking in general because obviously there's always the exceptions, is that they are given a label of having a diseased brain and medication instead of love. So the diseased brain becomes the focus as opposed to p- perhaps looking at what that person has gone through, looking at society, looking at the story of that person, looking at that person's context. Where do they come from? Who are they? What is your story? Everyone has a story. We can't just label someone and tell them they have a diseased brain and that they're broken and put the blame squarely on the shoulders of the person when they have gone through so much trauma. That results in a very dehumanized society. And basically, that technology such as social media can only serve to increase one's isolation and increase one's desire to seek attention. So technology is great and we're going to be talking about this as one of the problems but it also has its downside. So individualism actually goes against the default mode of humanity which is being wired for love. So I'm basically saying that the foundational, one of the foundational reasons for people doing bad things to good people, like shooting, like murder, like abuse, is a lack of love and and an environment or a society that is not operating in love, where we're working as individuals instead of as a community. So let me unpack that a little bit more. Okay, so there was a statement made by a politician that schools are seen as gun-free zones and therefore they're very vulnerable because they're seen as gun-free zones. So the implication there is that someone who will say, well, that's an easy target. But actually, we shouldn't be talking about a school being a gun-free zone. It's actually a love-free zone. So it could be a love-free zone for that particular individual who happens to shoot children in a school. What do I mean by, th- by this? For a person, like let's just take this Florida um, shooting. This particular person, we don't know the full history, but the, the, from what is coming out in the media now, we do know that there's a pattern. And this pattern that's occurring that we're starting to see play out in this young man's life is very similar to the patterns of all the shooters that have been identified over the last few years and all the shootings that have happened. And although every single person is an individual and diversity is the law of life and the law of the brain, so everyone has their own unique story, the patterns are growing up in some sort of lack of love, some sort of adverse circumstances. Now, please let me say up front that I am not making an excuse for this young man because ultimately it all boils down to choice because many, many people have gone through terrible adverse circumstances and they haven't become murderers. They haven't become shooters. They just think of people that have gone through tremendous trauma. People think of 
people that in the in the second in the second world war in the in the Nazi camps who came out still operating in love. There's so many stories like that, so many books that we movies and so on. So the point being here is that the lack of love does create damage in the brain. The lack of love does damage the human brain. But your mind changes your brain and your mind is ultimately more powerful. So the way that you are thinking and feeling and choosing, which is your mind in action, is very much under your control. You see something that I say often and I believe it applies in the situation a lot, is that we cannot control the events and circumstances of our life, but we can control our reactions to those events and circumstances of life. And this is why community versus individualism is so important. Because as a community, we can identify a troubled child, a troubled youth, a troubled adult. And as an individual, we can pour love on that person because research shows that as you pour love on a person, you change a person's brain chemistry, you change a person's genetic functioning, you actually activate genes inside the brain that are activated to increase the resilience inside of a person to be able to start facing their issues. Bottom line is when we love others, when we recognize people are doing what they're doing for some sort of reason, we actually give them the courage to start changing. I can personally attest to situations in my practice and just in my experience in my working career. I've had letters from prisoners that have the death sentence and how they have changed their change of heart where they have done terrible things and how someone reached out to them in the prison situation and they received love from a a pastoral group or someone who came or someone in the prison and they started getting love being immersed in love and that changed their their psyche they suddenly were able to reflect and self-regulate and look at themselves and evaluate not everyone changes once again the situation of the particular letter of this particular prisoner that i'm talking about this person chose to respond to the love they had the courage to face what they were going through and what they had done and to repent and to recognize and to change and it was the love that actually did that yes the damage they've done exists yes the consequences are there but love has changed that person just recently a good friend of mine had a son who was going through a lot of trauma long story but the long story short is that this particular young man had attempted suicide multiple times and the couple of times that he was almost successful when when after speaking to to the mother and to the son after the situation one of the comments that came up on multiple occasions was that this young man as he was about to literally to hang himself jump off a ceiling do a jump off a roof this, um, in one of the occasions, he felt himself immersed in the love of his family. He felt that love, and that's what pulled him back. Love gives you courage. Love changes you. Love is is we, we immersed in love. Quantum physics actually shows that the substance of reality, and this is I know such a complex concept, but that the substance of reality, what we made of, if you go beyond the cells and beyond the proteins, down to subatomic particles, down to the waves waving in gravitational fields, and us being in the environments around us and the world around us. This is all energy, energy coming from a divine source that I believe is God. And this energy is love. And when we operate in love, when we tap into this love, we are then functioning in love and we start changing how things function. But if we make the wrong decisions, because coming with love is tremendous freedom, the freedom of choice is the biggest freedom that we have, the ability to make free will decisions. When we choose wrong, we disturb this inside of our brain and our body. And that translates back from a disturbance of the love energy right back up to a structural damage inside the brain and a damage in the brain chemistry and damage in the in the structural functioning of the brain and obviously then in which reflects back into the mind and then that reflects back into the world and into relationships and so on so there's this constant cycle going on so we are responsible as a society to recognize and be entangled with each other and connect in with each other in order to help each other so we'll unpack this a little bit more but when people operate out of love when people operate out of love what does that mean operating out of love well with our mind we are thinking and feeling and choosing we are doing these three things we are thinking we are feeling and we are choosing we are doing this all day long at incredibly fast speeds in response to the events events and circumstances of life. So as I already said, you can't control the events and circumstances of life. And as you and I well know, there's lots of good and there's also lots of bad, but we are able to control our reactions. And as we control our reactions and learn to control our reactions and learn to help each other control our reactions with by immersing each other in love, we can learn to become better at managing our minds, managing our thoughts, and therefore bringing health into our brain and our body and health into how we function as a human as humanity and help each other but the opposite is also true if people are living in isolation in an individualistic society they don't have the benefit of being immersed in a love environment isolation according to the research kills more people annually than any other disease known to mankind 
isolation can be linked and related to the lack of love. So as a parent or as a teacher or as a person, a leader, whatever, if you if you know that there is someone in your in your sphere of influence, in your school or your church or your environment that seems to be a loner, that seems to be in a dark place, you have a responsibility in some way to reach out in love because we're entangled in each other's lives. We are we are linked. Entanglement, as I said, means relationship, and it means that we are we are impacting each other. We are connected in some way. In quantum physics, they did they do research where they show that particles that are in a relationship with each other, when you separate them by by huge distances, if one turns this way, the other one turns the same way, because they are linked across distance and time. There is no there is no separation. There is a connection. So no matter what, we have to realize that we impact each other. Okay, so when we have we are therefore addicted to love. Coming, just let's talk a little bit more about this love thing. We are addicted to love. We, we, we as humans, it is the top addiction. We cannot live without love. Living without love leads to loneliness, and loneliness is, as I've already mentioned, is the one of the main causes of why people, um, of, of main causes of death, one of the most, one of the highest causes of death. So, a lack of love also can lead to a distorted love. You see, as humans, we, do, we as I keep saying, we wired for love. So, if you don't get the right love, you your love becomes distorted and because distortion is abnormal and love is normal distorted love creates a tremendous mess inside the brain and the body you have a neurochem you have neurochemical chaos you have structural damage you have um, upsets in the quantum energy fields your electromagnetic fields go wrong in other words on every physical level there is going to be major damage on the non-physical level which is your mind and the spiritual part of who you are there's also going to be a mess because your mind is your thinking feeling and choosing and if you making wrong decisions and you're thinking incorrectly and feeling incorrectly you're going to be disturbing this whole negative cycle is is occurring so you get distorted love and as you're thinking feeling and choosing you are physically changing the structure of your brain because as you think feel and choose you cause genetic expression which means you pretty much building thought structures, physical thought structures inside of your brain. Now you're wired for love, so you're supposed to build healthy thoughts, but if you make a toxic decision in a distorted love state, you, you're going to build toxic thoughts. And these toxic thoughts will then grow. Whatever you think about the most will grow. So as you think about a toxic thought, it starts growing and growing, and eventually it gets so big that it gets enough energy and a, a tipping point is reached, and then suddenly now you are operating on that thought that you have built. You see... Nothing that you say or do is just a random event. Everything that you say and do is first a thought inside of your head. So how does this relate back to shooters? How does this relate back to these mass killings? Well, we have to look at why a person has done what they're doing or done what they've done. And that definitely relates to somewhere down the line, a lack of love. And why am I saying this? Because as humans, we are wired for love. I keep saying it. We're wired for love. We are addicted to love. If something goes wrong in the way that we are experiencing life, this can create a distortion in how we perceive our and then we can start thinking in the wrong way and we can start building up these toxic thoughts and eventually these toxic thoughts get sufficient energy and you start acting on those toxic thoughts. I want to stress again, this is not an automatic thing that will happen. You don't have to act on those toxic thoughts. It doesn't mean that everyone who goes through some adverse circumstance in life is going to become a murderer. Absolutely not. This is something, this is the, the, the power of choice, the power of the ability of choice to change the brain is very, very important to understand. So loneliness leads to individualism and as I said, more more people die from loneliness annually than any other disease. We have to change this because bottom line is that the lack of love results in a distortion in our perceptions and people with distorted perceptions of love are not going to operate in the way that they should be operating and that will manifest in some way. Then we let's talk a little bit more while I'm talking about this whole concept of love. Let's talk about the power of our mind. Our mind is separate from the brain. The brain and the mind are not the same thing. The mind and the brain are separate. Your mind changes your brain. So your brain is the physical part of you and your mind is the non-physical part. Your mind is your thinking, feeling and choosing and your brain is all those neurons and all that substance that forms the brain. So your mind works through your brain. So your brain responds to your mind. So as you're thinking, you're causing these changes inside of your brain. Your brain's wired for love, as I've already said. So as your mind is moving through your brain, your brain is then responding physically and you build stuff inside of your brain okay so when we have these lack of love things from our mind perceptions as we react incorrectly we're pretty much going to build up a distorted identity of who we are a distorted perception of what is actually happening and occurring in your life and these um, and these things will then grow and grow as i said patterns are set up now what research shows is that it just takes seven minutes a day and if you think about something toxic for seven minutes a day by the 
Day 21, you have built a long-term memory. We've all heard of long and short-term memories. Short-term memories only live for about 24 hours. Long-term memories live for much longer. Once something's a long-term memory, if you still think about it more, what you're doing is every time you're thinking about something, you're giving that physical thought more quantum energy. And then as by the, if you keep, keep thinking about it daily, it's going to grow. And by the but within another 21 days, so by day 42, you've started automatizing or turning this thought into a habit. Another 21 days, by which will reach day 63, you've built a habit. So what I've just said is that if you think about something every day for 63 days, you are going to build a habit. And a habit is something that has sufficient energy to produce something, words and actions. So someone who picks up a gun and shoots people, this is not something that's just happened off, off a short-term memory. It's not just a reaction. What has happened is that these people have come from a distorted love. The addiction, the normal natural default mode of being addicted to love has been distorted for whatever reason. We are all diverse individuals. We are all, all have our own story, all have our own context, that there's some distortion in the love pattern in this person's life. And they've channeled that toxic energy in the wrong direction. And that wrong direction could be any manner of things. It could be playing video games um, that are full of murder and constantly daily for maybe an hour or two hours a day um, playing these video games where they being almost immunized to murder and then maybe reading um, murder books on murder, watching movies on murder, getting immersed in the concept of killing guns, death, and spending a lot of time on their own, which is already distorting the brain, and then in addition, feeding that distortion with all this toxic stuff. And this grows and grows and grows. And if they do that for three, six, nine weeks, which is approximately 63 days, nine, within nine weeks of feeding your brain with that, you have such a distorted pattern in your brain that the the result of that is going to be something frightening. And now I'm not saying that everyone who does this is going to murder, as I already mentioned, or shoot people. That's not the case. But what I do know is that we, it's, that kind of thinking is going to result, this violence is going to become a reality for them. And, and it's a way that they understand life. Okay, so the violence, the violence that they're watching, the violence that's consuming them becomes a reality. So a distorted reality, absolutely. But that becomes their reality. And that's what they then start acting on. Now, once again, your mind is more powerful than your brain. So therefore, we create realities with our mind inside of our brain. So that is a reality that that person has created, but you can always change that because of our natural wired for love design will always override evil. So why does, so some people in a toxic state will manifest with, with worry, others it progresses into anxiety, with others it progresses into, into depression, into, others into trauma. These are all manifestations, they're not diseases of the brain, they are manifestations of something that's going wrong. For some people, the brokenness in their life manifests in these kind of things, depression, anxiety, etc. But for some people, it goes further and they start turning and channeling this energy into this violence in various different ways, consuming their mind. They now become addicted to this evil content and they start building this evil into their brain. They literally are building structural changes inside of their brain and that's all they think about and it's going to produce fruit. Okay, it's going to produce something. You're going to communicate. It's that, that reality that you've created for yourself will express itself because as humans, we, we use our physical body to express what we have built into our brain. So at some point, it will express itself. And that's why I stress the importance of community, of immersing in love, of, of, of reading the warning signs, of being able to identify these things so that we can preempt this pattern manifesting and expressing itself in death, murder, etc. So if we move, just moving on as well, let's talk now about the concept from mind. Let's talk about mental health because I've already mentioned the words of depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, let's mention the word schizophrenia, that scary word. These immediately are the words that are associated with mental health. And as I mentioned in my introduction, this is definitely what we see happening on the conservative side where people are immediately either associating these shootings with that's a mental health issue. And this is really a very, very, very unfair association between mental health and violence. So the, let's just talk about a few truths at first. Let, let me just actually say that again. This creates an unfair association between mental health and violence because the implication is like a witch hunt, that anyone who's mental has been labeled with a mental health issue is now considered to be violent or is at risk for being violent. That's a very, um, that's almost like using someone as a scapegoat or using a concept as a scapegoat. Once again, there's a lot of things 
wrong with what's with this, this this kind of thinking. The truth is that mental health is not a disease. So someone with depression, anxiety, for those those things, those are schizophrenia, OCD, all these labels. These are not diseases. These are descriptions of someone who has gone through something. The whole description that I've just been giving you now, that I've just given you in the previous part of the podcast, and they're manifesting in these in these broader symptoms. But they are indicative of an underlying brokenness inside of them that is manifesting in that way. Okay, so first of all, we need to stop saying that mental health is a disease of the individual. We need to look at at the person in the whole context and what has happened in their society. So we have life. Let me quickly summarize this. We have life. We in life we are as human beings. You are able to think and feel and choose, which is our mind in action. We can make good choices and we can make wrong choices. When we make good choices, we build health into our brain and that manifests health in our life and healthy actions and so on. When incorrect, the opposite happens. Obviously, so we literally building these thoughts they grow as we think about them these things that I've already been saying and if it's toxic we can get ourselves in the toxic cycle and if we don't deal with these thoughts they grow even more and they damage the brain and the body and then they manifest in various ways when a critical mass of energy is being reached and it's different for everyone because diversity is the law of humanity I've said this but it bears repeating some of those various ways could be depression anxiety psychotic breaks agitation etc some could even be channeled into a very negative direction and result in pure evil evil is premeditated what does that mean it's not something that is a reaction it's not something that is um, a, a a reaction to an adverse life ex- experience so let me let me make that clearer two people can have an adverse life experience one one deals with it maybe goes through some depression another one gets totally toxic channels the energy and focuses on evil and ends up shooting someone so this it depends on the individual but basically when we talk about the concept of evil being premeditated someone who shoots someone that is an evil act taking someone else's innocent life is an act of evil and it's not something that we can blame on a diseased brain we can't say my brain made me shoot those kids Kids. We can't say that. We can't say that, that that murderer has a mental health disease and therefore they shot the children. That is an incorrect correlation and a very, very dangerous correlation. All of us as humans make right and wrong choices. When we make right choices, we're in mental health. When we make wrong choices, we step into mental ill health. It's as simple as that. And it depends on how you are spending time in each of those areas. So if you then channel all your energy in the toxic zone, you become very toxic. But your brain is neuroplastic. I spent many years researching the mind-brain connection and showing that as you deliberately and intentionally use your mind, you can change your brain. So whatever reality you've created in your brain, no matter how toxic that reality, you can change that reality. So by changing your mind, you change your brain. By renewing your mind, you rewire your brain. You change the structure of your brain, which is very powerful to realize that we have that. You see, when we start associating mental health with murderous actions, we have a very big problem. Mental health results in broken people that need to be loved. Wrong decisions, wrong decisions will result in can result also, as I've been keep on saying, in the evil direction. But that is also a choice. You have a choice to get depressed. You have a choice to channel it and get really evil in that direction. A community of love can someone can can help to get someone out of that toxic mental state. So even someone who's moving in the direction where they've maybe been through the anxiety, the depression, the trauma, the PTSD, that energy that they then channel into an evil action, that can be stopped at any point. Your brain can be rewired. You are not the destiny of your past even though your past has massive influence because all those memories of the past and what you've gone through are influencing every next decision because you're always thinking feeling and choosing and science shows us that every 10 seconds we are consciously aware of what's in our mind and what's coming up and and what's and and literally the most things with the most energy whatever you've spent the most time thinking about that's what dominates the next decision so you can get in a toxic cycle but you can break it and the love of a community will help to break that what I'm trying to start pointing towards which I'm sure you've picked up by now is the fact that as a community we need to address this problem we need to address that Yes, we've got to have some very practical things like we have to get gun control. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute and some very practical things and parenting skills and so on. But we as a community have to start realizing that broken love creates broken people and enough toxicity can land up going in the wrong direction. And we can change that. We need to realize the power of our human minds and the power of choice and the power of free will. Just an interesting thing is mental health therefore needs to be redefined so that we don't have the stigma, that we don't have this, this association that someone who's mentally health, ill healthy is violent. I mean, this is going to affect all kinds of things like insurance policies and 
jobs and just being able to to mainstream back into society again. So mental health does need a, a redefinition. I don't know if you're aware of this, but just to show you how extreme mental health has gone, and I'm going to be doing lots more podcasts on this particular topic, but men- mental health field is the only branch of the medical profession. Psychiatry is the only branch of the medical profession that removes the rights of decision making and choice over, over a person's health. So like for example, if you have cancer and you're offered treatment for cancer, you have the right to refuse to take that treatment. But if you have been identified as having a mental health problem because of the stigma that's associated with it, because of the indication that it's potentially, a, uh, that there's a potential for homicide or suicide, because of that incorrect assumption, although that does occur, it can occur, as I've just explained laboriously in the in the previous part of this podcast, it doesn't, it is not a causal it's not a causal link. You cannot say someone who has mental health, a mental health disease is going to be, is at risk for homicide. According to the research, people with brokenness, where they're manifesting with depression and OCD and, and anxiety disorders and depression, dis- all these depression and these symptoms are more likely to commit suicide than they are to commit homicide. Then what also is the reason why I'm calling for a change on in mental health, and not only myself, there's so many people, so many incredible scientists and doctors like Dr. Peter Bregan and Dr. Kelly Brogan and Dr. Peter Gotchen and Dr. Joanna Moncrief, so many people that you can find out more about these on my website, drleaf.com, that are calling for a change in mental health, the definition and the management of mental health. So what is generally happening now is that in mental health is that people are labeled with the diseases, with these, they're given these labels, told that they have a disease and they are medicated. And so for a moment, let me talk about a huge subject in just a few brief words. And I promise I will get into this in more depth in future, in future podcasts and that is that we add to the toxicity of a person's toxic mind by adding toxic medications and the medications I'm referring to are not the great medications like insulin for diabetes and medication for our hearts and medication for kidneys and that kind of thing. I'm not talking about that incredibly wonderful amazing side of medicine. What I'm talking about is the medications that are used in psychiatry and mental health which are called psychotropics and psychotropics are things like antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications, stimulants and and antipsychotic medications. These medications are actually not medications. They are actually classified as drugs. They're addictive and they are brain damaging. Very, very, very frightening. Brain damaging have very very a, a huge amount of side effects. Some of the antidepressants have up to 3,000 side effects and they are all negative. There's, uh, just, let's just talk very recently about another very common thing related to drugs and related to these mass shootings is that literally every shooter that we have had in the United States in, in the last few years has been have been found to have been on one of these psychotropic or not even, not necessarily one, but a combination of these psychotropic medications over a period of time. Dr. Peter Bregan an incredible psychiatrist, an absolute leader in the field of challenging the current psychiatric trend of medication, who's done extensive research, who has written extensively, who is is a mentor to me and who's absolutely brilliant, has a, a whole lot of books, but one of his books that I really feel is, is essential for everyone to read is called Medication Madness, The Role of Psychiatric Drugs in the Cases of Violence, Suicide and Crime. Dr. Peter Bregan often um, is, is involved in court cases and, and researching and, and trying to to find out the reasons behind um, when people like these these violent shootings and when people are put into institutions illegally and unfairly and so on. What he says about the research that he has done about drugs, and this is kind of a summary because there's thousands of people that have done research showing that these drugs um, are very very dangerous, is that they a couple of the things that they do is that they anesthetize emotions. So when you your emotions are flattened, you're in a much worse place to manage your reactions to life. And then you can see if you're going down a toxic route where you're on medication medications and you're now doing that whole uh, that whole focus on the evil and the negative and the toxic the toxic medication on top of the toxic thinking is exacerbating the problem beyond belief. Also, there's an increased chance, there's well, well documented research showing that there's an increased chance of impulsive suicide and homicide, increased levels of aggression, increased, that's not even talking about the health benefits. So just the behavioral changes alone of increased impulsivity, um, suicidal and homicidal uh, impulsivity, anesthetizing emotions, increased aggressiveness, these are very, very serious side effects that have been through intensive qualitative meta-analyses and research studies have shown 
that this is a very real problem, that we can't just give people medication. Let me give you an example. There was a a 14-year-old foster child in Florida who hanged herself on a Facebook live stream after being treated with 50 milligrams of Vyvanse, which is a stimulant, which is a drug that is given very often for ADHD. And it leads to a domino effect of diagnoses and psychiatric meds, including a 13-fold increase in the likelihood of being prescribed an antipsychotic medication and a four-fold increase in antidepressant medication. And what that means is that once on a stimulant, the research shows that generally within a short period of time, because of the side effects and the changes in the brain that occur from these medications, and these poor people land up on antidepressants and then anti and antipsychotics. So it becomes a whole cocktail of medications that mess up their brain and also increase their chance of getting addicted to things like cocaine and heroin. And in add to this, the concept, the, the, the modern American diet, which is considered to be more addictive than these psychotropics. So if you've got a person, just, just see the picture now. You've got a person who is toxic, who's been through adverse child experiences, has had a lack of love, maybe a lack of touch in their life. We call the lack of touch cutaneous deprivation, where, where studies have shown that when babies are put into orphanages and they don't get enough touch and love and so on, they actually grow up with major emotional problems. Touch is a huge part of healing and of normal emotional development. So here you have a child who's maybe been part of the foster system, lack of love, um, maybe bullied, maybe abused, a ton of terrible toxic negative things, toxic reactions in the brain, um, maybe me- over medicated, and um, one day maybe gets you know gets in- onto these video games, whatever. And a whole whole negative cycle starts happening. So now on top of it, they may, they're eating junk food, the modern American diet. We just have one layer of toxicity over another. Do you know that between 2014 and 2015, there was a reversal in the trend of people dying? So for hundreds of years, people have been living longer because of the advances in medicine and technology. But between 2014 and 2015, this trend reversed. So people who are dying 15 have started now, currently dying 15 to 25 years younger from preventable lifestyle diseases. Lifestyle means lifestyle. Lifestyle. What do you, what, how are you managing your life? How are you managing stress? How are you living in your community? What are you doing with your life? Do you understand your identity? What are you eating? These are all related to lifestyle. And when we just, someone goes through a trauma, maybe they lose a loved one, maybe they lose a pet, maybe they move to a new country, maybe they go to a new school and they, they don't know how to fit in or something. These are traumatic life events. You go over to your PCP or primary care physician and within 15 minutes you're on a medication and now suddenly you're just sad because you've got to deal with a life change now suddenly you've been told that you're diseased this changes your wiring of your brain as well when you suddenly now have to see yourself as a broken individual all these things are adding up to a huge big problem Dr. Kelly Brogan is a psychiatrist brilliant psychiatrist as well practices in New York and she basically said it takes 17 years this is an incredibly interesting fact it takes 17 years for a physician a physician practice to reflect published science. So what that means is that science is in advance of what's actually happening in practices, in medicine, in education. So science happens, and then around about 17 to 20 years later, the new, that science is then happening inside the, the education system. So we're always kind of 20, 17 to 20 years behind where science is. And currently science says we need a new definition for mental health. We need a new look at how we are managing mind. We need a new look at how we are eating. So these are all lifestyle factors that we need to consider when we look at this whole concept of basically this whole concept of these mass shootings. Let's look at another factor and that's technology. Technology is incredible absolutely incredible at sharing ideas we know all the great advantages of technology I've done um, a couple of podcasts on social media and technology and the advantages and the disadvantages but let's just have a quick look at where technology can be incredibly negative when it comes to mass shootings very often a lack of love will result in a broken not very often it does a lack of love will result in broken identity a very interesting trend has occurred in a global trend has occurred and that is that the lack of identity underlies the majority of mind health um, and physical health issues. So when we isolated, lonely, um, abused, all these things that I've been saying, our identity goes for a loop. And when our identity goes for a loop, it, it means our self-esteem is affected and we just lose perspective. And that is that is very negative. So when someone is losing identity, it's so abnormal to lose our identity that we try to identify with something. So you become what you think about the most. And these shooters that are getting absorbed in all these the, the toxic video games and toxic thoughts and so on, like I've been describing, basically have identified with the wrong thing, have identified with distorted love. So their identity has shifted and has changed. And then this is publicized all over the media. And someone with a lack of identity, maybe someone with 
with a lack of attention. Maybe they grew up just not getting the attention and the love. Maybe no one listens to them. Everyone rejects them. So they now see this through the media that if someone is a shooter, well, now they can get a lot of attention. So there's that negative side where you can actually, where they see that this is a way of becoming infamous in a, in a way, getting recognized, getting identified. And and then also the fact that they that they are now going into the vulnerable places like schools and, and shooting young children and where, where the vulnerable of society um, shows that that it's almost a complete distortion. You should be safe at school. You should be happy at school. You should be safe at home. And we find that a lot of these these situations, the, the kids have shot up their families, they've shot up kids at school. So the places where they should be getting love and they didn't get love, it's almost like they are going back and punishing the place or seeing there's a distortion of how they are they, they, they are viewing that situation. They didn't get the love there, so they're now going back and attacking the place where they should have got the love. All kinds of distorted realities and distorted perceptions, which once again calls for us as a community. We have to change. We have to change as a society. Technology enables us to get, it's terrible, but you can go online and you can find out how to murder, how to commit suicide. I mean, there are there is information out there and this should be regulated. People can spread ideas, even distorted ones through through technology. Um, video games, as I've, as I've already spoken about, con- being consumed by violent video games does change the brain. Whatever you think about the most will grow. Think of that principle. You merge with what you are focusing on. You merge with your environment. And that wires toxicity over your normal, natural, wired for love design. And that toxicity that should not be there is going to conflict with what should be there. And this creates tremendous cognitive dissonance in the brain, broken identity, and all the things I've been speaking about. And then we cannot not talk about gun control. We have to look at gun control. Now, just a couple of facts. The United States owns way, way more guns per capita than the rest of the world. And the best research on gun violence suggests that's probably contributing to our homicide problem. As exemplified by the recent terrific shooting that we've just spoke about in Florida at Douglas Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida, using 2012 data compiled by The Guardian, the United States has nearly twice as many guns per 100 people as the next closest country. So in other words, the United States has 88.8 guns per 100 people as opposed to Yemen that has 54 guns per person. The American firearm homicide rate is about 20 times the average among organizations um, for economic cooperation and development countries, including Mexico. So we have to realize that stricter gun control and screening is absolutely vital in this process. It's definitely part of the solution because accessibility to guns makes it so much easier to do maximum damage in minimum amount of time. So if you have someone who's gone through the whole description that I've been going through that is caught up in toxicity, that's perhaps also on a psychotropic drug, which in all these cases of the shooters in this country so far, that has been the case that they've been on one or multiple drugs, multiple psychotropic drugs. You have those layers of toxicity, isolation in a very individualistic society like the United States. You have a recipe for disaster. And then there's easy access to guns. Guns will always be available. We just need to remember, guns will always be available. So even with stricter gun control, guns will always be available on the black market and people will always find ways to hurt other people. Unfortunately, we have free will. And even though we wired for love, we have free will. Love comes with free will and people can make the wrong choices. So at the end of the day, it always does boil down to choice. So lack of love is a global phenomenon. It's not something that is just something that's happening in the United States. Lack of love is a global phenomenon since the beginning of time. People have grown up in adverse circumstances, experienced adverse circumstances as young adults, as adults, older adults. At any stage in your life, you can experience a lack of love and distortion. And this has all these effects. But the problem is that we've been talking about why more in the USA and pretty much what I've been saying is that this lack of love, which is a global phenomenon, is accelerated by this individualistic culture that we have in in the, in the United States of America. And that that, along with very easy access to gun control, seems to be a major part of the problem. So let's have a look at what we can do in terms of some practical solutions. Okay, so let's start, first of all, with the, f- the five areas that I have identified as contributing towards this problem for with the mass shooting that's happening. The first thing is distorted love. The second thing is our mind, needing to understand the power of our mind and training in the mind and how to use the mind properly, the mind-brain connection. Then the whole mental health definition and management and the meds and the, the way that mental health has been linked as a scapegoat literally for these things, misunderstanding of this process, technology becoming an easy way to um, to learn about these these ways of murdering people and, and getting the message out and, and getting a distorted recognition and identity and then gun control. So these are the five areas that we that that we need to look at as solutions and that, that are the problems and then we offer I'm offering solutions on these in these five areas. Okay, so let's look at how we can start addressing love. Well it starts in the home. It starts with parenting. You know there's something that I do every 
every single day of my life. I have four children, and even though they grown up between the ages of 20 and 26 at the moment, I still every day pray in the morning that, and during the course of the day and when I'm in, in conversations with my kids and helping them with whatever, that I will tune into their physical, spiritual and emotional needs. As a parent, we have such a massive responsibility to tune into our children. They aren't you. You can't tell them what to do. You can't control them. What you have to do is teach them how to think and feel and choose in their wired for love design. So you model that by your behavior and you model that by loving them and you model that by tuning into them and identifying so that you can help them to process through and express what, they, what they're going through in life. A young child between the ages of, of just being born and as they're starting to you know, walk and talk around two years of one, one and a half, two years of age, up until the age of 12, have very low level linguistic skills. In other words, they don't know how to express their emotions. Every day, every year they're learning, every month they're learning more and more about how this happens. So that's why as a parent we have we have a huge responsibility and role to tune in and understand the ages and the developmental emotional stages of our children and how to tune into them and not to assume that we know what they're thinking because we don't. It's very important that you make that your environment becomes loving and non-judgmental. My husband Mac and I have made it a huge part of our lifestyle and this is very scientific scientifically and spiritually based as well to, to create an environment where our children feel safe. Safe enough safe enough to share everything with us. And I say everything. There is no conversation. There is nothing that they can tell us that is going to stop us loving them. We've made that very clear. Anything goes. They can ask us anything. They can tell us anything. And sometimes you have to kind of swallow and not let your eyes pop open wide because you hear things that you didn't even know about. So you'll learn a few things from your children as well. But the whole point is if they don't tell you, who are they going to discuss it with? If they don't bring it home and discuss it with you, what kind of perception or what kind of distorted perception are they going to learn about those things of life? The things of life we have, we don't have all the answers, obviously, but we can certainly explore. So as your child feels safe, in a very loving and very non-judgmental. Let me stress the non-judgmental. Don't judge your kids. Don't make them feel bad about themselves. Don't make them feel bad about their decisions that they're making. They're going to make a whole ton of bad decisions. You still do. You and I, we both still do. We don't have the right to make each other feel bad about the decisions that we're making. We don't have the right to judge the decision that your child or your husband or your wife or whatever, any other person, you do not have the right to judge. You have the right to love. And as you love a person, you help them process through the things that they're going through. Parenting is vital to the development of love in a child. And not all children have the ideal parents. And this is why it's vitally important that we look to the next level of contact, which is the teachers at school. We need so much, we need so much training in schools to help teachers that are so swamped by big classes and work demands. We need to have a way around helping teachers to recognize the signs of a child who's perhaps not receiving the love that they should when they're at home. I'll never forget when my children were growing up one of the um, schools that they went to in South Africa, there was a little boy that really decided he was going to bully everyone, but he was an awful bully. He really hurt people. He nearly choked our son the one day and my one daughter literally pulled him off. And you know, your first reaction as a parent, oh, that brat, don't let him near my child. But that isn't the way to react. That child, when I, I didn't know the history of that child, and when I went and called a meeting with the principal, what they told me was that this child is beaten up every single day. And that child was covered in bruises. And I remember saying to the school, but why have you not removed the child from by the father? The father was beating up the child, not the teachers. The father was beating up the child every day. Mother was doing nothing, standing by watching, and that's not right. You have to defend your children. If you know something's going wrong, as a parent, as one, you cannot, your children are your responsibility. How many times we've had emails, how many letters I've received, how many times people told me when I was in clinical practice about how the father raped the, the daughter and the mother stood by. This is not acceptable. This is not acceptable. If you as a teacher know that that child's being beaten and you let that child go home every day to be beaten, that's what was happening to this little boy. And this little boy was playing out on the child. Do you know what that school did? That school expelled that child. So that child was now had another toxic situation happen in their life, another adverse circumstance. That wasn't the solution. The solution was to to get that child into a foster home who would have loved that child and brought that child back to healing and health. And this is what I'm talking about. We need to not just find the child that's a behavioral issue and say that child has ADD or that child has ADHD. Give them Ritalin, which drum, which dumbs them down, damages their brain, shrinks their brain, causes all kinds of negative emotional reactions, takes away a lot of their feelings. 
now they're nice and quiet in the classroom, but look at all the damage that they're doing. This is not the solution. And then those, as I've already mentioned, on Ritalin, eventually they land up with, uh, with very often land up on um, antipsychotics, antidepressants, and eventually can potentially become addicted to cocaine. So we need to have training in the schools. We need to have parenting training. We need to use, we need to look at what in our community is a very quick way of bringing, um, creating safe spaces. And churches are an ideal environment. There are multiple churches across the country and multiple churches that could immediately become safe places. Now, there's a concept that I applied in my practice and I've developed all my books that I've written, my 21-day brain detox online program, my Perfectly You online program, my Think and Eat Yourself Smart online program. All my books are all based on the angle that I have been bringing to you in this podcast, the concept of the mind changing the brain, the concept of we wired for love, the concept that we can think, feel and choose, the concept that we can change our brain. And I have trained thousands of teachers, thousands of adults, thousands of thousands of of people over the years, a medical, professional, corporate, to help them to try and change their brain, teaching people how to love. I ran in my practice a concept called family therapy, where I never work with a child or an adult alone. I always brought in families and helped them. And the whole point here is that we are working on systems. We we are, have existing materials that, that already can be used in, in school and education environments. And we're working on programs as well. In my country of birth, Zimbabwe, they have an amazing concept happening there that has been scientifically proven to be phenomenally powerful powerful and successful and it's called friendship benches they don't have money therefore for psychotropic drugs which is actually a really good thing so one day what happened was that there was a little broken bench and a little grandmother was sitting on that bench and people in the community would come to that grandmother and sit on that bench and talk to her and she became the local counselor no training no education but love everyone is trained in love you don't have to have a PhD, a counseling degree, a psychology degree, a psychiatry degree to help someone else. You just need to operate instinctually in your love. And this is what this friendship bench concept in Zimbabwe they were doing. And from there, it was so successful in helping people deal with the adverse child traumas, the, um, the, all the emotional stuff they were going through, the traumas, that they actually multiplied this out and did a scientific study and found that it was significantly effective in helping people reduce issues of mind, mind issues like depression and anxiety anxiety, et cetera, et cetera. This is some of the principles in there are the principles that I use in my programs. And if you keep in touch with us, keep in touch with my, on our webpage, through email, through our social media, on my podcast, on my YouTube channel, you can learn more and more and more about how you can bring this into your community. Our desire of my desire and the desire of my organization is that we help to create environments of love to overcome all these traumas that we are seeing in the world around us. You are so equipped to help other people. And I want to show you how equipped you are to help other people. So there's so much that we can say. We do need very tight gun controls. We do need extensive screening. I actually propose it should be a minimum, and you might think I'm crazy, but I'm not. There should be a minimum of a year before a person's issued a license, which is sufficient time to actually track that person's use of technology, track that person's history, track that person's. And, and what that will be doing is in all this this tracking, this is not an invasion of privacy. This is, an, is, is a, a way that society can see, is this a troubled person? What is this person's story? Before we just medicate and label and, and, and allow them to go down a toxic rabbit hole, we can get to know that person and get to help them. So therapists need to listen more and try to look at a whole history rather than be so quick to prescribe drugs. So in the mental health industry, this is vitally important. So therapists could be involved in this evaluation of gun control. A lot of information can be gained from therapists. In the mental health field, therapists, therapy in itself, I was trained never to just diagnose someone in the first 10 minutes that I met them. Now that's very common. Someone is diagnosed with 10 minutes and medicated. We would spend hours upon hours taking case histories, getting to know the person, finding out their problems, working in a team with other professionals and psychologists and neurologists and psychiatrists and neurosurgeons. And that way, looking at the whole person. Those friendship benches, what they did, those grannies listened. What I did in my practice, I would listen before I started teaching them techniques to help them to use their mind to change their brain, to deal with whatever it is that they needed dealt with in their life. And this anyone can do. We can all do this. We can all help each other. We are all responsible to help each other. So we are all responsible as, as a society. We can't turn around and blame that mental health person, blame that. I've explained the whole process in this podcast and I recommend you, you listen to this a few times and that you share this with as many people as possible and work out ways that you can get your community change happening and contact us, get hold of us, get to your local churches, get to your, get um, speak to us, email us. We'll help you. We'll help you get make these changes of love in your environments. Humans, as humans, we are made in love. We are wired for love. We 
designed to operate in love. We are entangled in each other's life, that lives, that beautiful principle, quantum physics principle, the law of relationships. We are designed to be entangled in each other's lives. So when we talk about the friendship benches and we talk about entanglement and we talk about wired for love, we need to realize churches can become those beautiful safe spaces. So I spoke about homes, parents, schools, churches. These all need to be safe spaces, non-judgmental spaces, spaces where you can sit on the bench and know that no matter what has happened in your life, you are safe. You are safe to tell your story and someone is there in a loving way listening to your story. Non-judgmental. We've got to be very careful of the of the laws and rules of religion and, and the guilt and the shame that's imposed on people. You may not want to hear some of the things that, that you are hearing, but love listens. Love listens. Love helps that person process. Research shows that when we love someone, we change their brain chemistry. We change the way that the neurotransmitters flow. We influence the health of all 75 to 100 trillion cells of the body of that person. We activate genetic switches inside the brain that increase the resilience of the person so that they are able to look at their circumstances. When you love someone else, you are giving them the courage to process through that toxicity and to rewire their brain. And in the process, you increase your own healing by a factor of 68%. So those friendship benches are not just for some, for you getting help or for you being the only one helping, they're for each other. The way that I run the friendship benches, and I call them bench therapy, is that if you've had a session, you give a session. So if you've been listened to, you listen to someone else. There's so many tips. If you want to know know more, please contact us via our webpage, drleaf.com. Send us an email. Send us a message on social media. um, Subscribe to my podcast, my YouTube channel. Subscribe to, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and um, and Twitter. Um, Follow, join our email list where I send out lots of very vital information with lots of links and blogs to help you operate in love. Let's change this together. We, as a community, can learn to be human again. We can learn to step into our humanity humanity and bring heaven to earth. You see, at the end of the day, each person makes their own choice to act in or out of their humanity. But love always wins. This is a really long podcast, but a very important podcast. I've said a lot. So what I'm going to do now is quickly summarize the solutions, the five problems and the five solutions that I believe are underlying the situation. So the The five problems I've identified are lack of love, misunderstanding of how to use the mind, the psychiatric medication mental health link, the technology and gun control. So now let's address each of the solutions for each of those. And obviously this is this is not this is not every single solution. This is just touching the tip of the iceberg. Okay, first solution, first problem that we want to solve is love, broken love. How can we address that? By our parenting. How we parent. That's the first port of call. These children are born to parents and parents need to be tuned in. They need to create loving, safe environments. They need to give quality time. They need to stop touch judging. They need to have appropriate touch. Children need to be touched. There's so many stories of criminals that were never touched. So many stories of people that were judged. People, parents need to, to remember that if your children don't feel safe at home or safe to share with you, they're going to get wrong perceptions from other people. So parenting skills, I think people should do parenting courses. Very important. I've trained so many parents in my life. Okay, so then teachers, let's talk about another aspect of love is teachers. That's the next port of call. These kids are going to school. So teachers need to learn how to show love. And I'm not saying the teachers aren't loving. I think teachers are amazing. I've worked with thousands of teachers. I've worked in education systems for years, but they are under such pressure and can sometimes get under the stress of the pressure can affect how they manage the children and how they respond to the children. Children are incredibly able to read body language. They read body language better than adults. So they may not have the words to express and they may not understand all the words that are being said to them. This this goes for parents and for teachers and for society in general, but children can read body language so they know when someone's negative towards them. So teachers need help in being able to show show love and this is why the, the bench concept of uh, the friendship bench, which I call bench therapies, is, is fantastic to do in schools and a very simple solution is there's so many volunteers that would love to help in schools, like maybe mothers that have got children that are grown up, grandparents, people that are volunteering that want to volunteer for at, at, um, at 
they were at university and they want to do volunteer um, programs and so on, schools could set up volunteer programs where people come in and you have the benches there and these those people are there to show the love to these children. So when a child feels that they need support, they can go to that bench, they can sit there and they're not going to be judged. It's a safe place, no bullying, no judging. And this has already been, uh, this principle has been applied in quite a few places around the world and it's very, very successful. It's also what I'm doing in, in my organization. We help, we help churches and schools to set this up. Once again, I encourage you to go to my website, drleaf.com and to follow me on my podcast, YouTube, social media, join our email list and we can help you get these changes made. Okay. Um, teachers also need to be trained to identify and deal with the signs. So, and that's very important that teachers at this stage are very trained to identify the child who's a behavioral problem and they are identified as ADHD and they'll put uh, with a very quick questionnaire and put onto drugs too quickly. This is not the solution. Drugs are not the solution. We need, teachers need to be trained and helped to identify and deal with the signs of a child who is troubled and obviously of a child who has a learning problem and needs learning help. Churches, churches, fantastic. Next port of call, they're all over the place. They can get friendship benches, the bench therapy going. You can have people that are doing, we have churches that are doing my 21 day brain detox challenge. And these people are going, thousands of pe- people in churches are going through my 21 day brain detox, which is the process that I identify that helps you direct your mind to change your brain, to deal with the issues, the adverse life circumstances that have occurred. And what we have is churches that are going through these programs. And then those people are the volunteers that help with the bench therapy inside the church. So therefore, the churches can be an incredibly healthy mental health environment where people can come and sit and once again be in an environment of love that is non-judgmental. So this is where our communities and entanglement can get involved. And I mean, this can this can branch out into growing gardens and raised bed gardens where they can grow healthy food. Just there's so much research showing the importance of healthy eating and mental health and also healthy eating for starving people. People that are hungry need food. And then the process of gardening is really, really good for mental health. And then going along with talking about food, we need to talk about diet. That's something we have to address. There's so much research showing that the modern American diet is very brain damaging and can cause, can can is actually more addictive. You won't believe this, but is more addictive than um, the, then, then uh, psychotropic drugs and cocaine. So I have a book called Think and, Eat, Think and Eat Yourself Smart. I have an online program called 63 Days to Think and Eat Yourself Smart. We're about to start a challenge over March and April to help thousands of people around the world move into healthy eating patterns for mental health. Eating is 80% in the mind. So those are, those are four things in terms of love. And to diet, yes, diet does fall under love because we're wired for love. Our brain and is wired for love. We need to look after our brain. We need to feed our brain. So our brain is wired for for love, food is wide for love, so diet's an essential part of the love component. So parenting, teachers, church, and diet. That's for love. Then let's take a look at mind. I mentioned already in the friendship benches that I have a 21-day brain detox in my research on the mind. As a mind specialist, I have focused on how we build thoughts and how we break down thoughts. I have focused on the mind-brain connection, so showing how these thoughts become realities in the brain and how as we are thinking, we change our brain. So my 21-day brain detox is a very powerful powerful tool that's based on five steps that can be used to build to break down toxic thoughts in the brain and build healthy new replacement thoughts very powerful so when someone's going through a tough time you don't tell them what to do you sit on that bench you listen to them you love them and they've got to get those crazy thoughts under control those toxic thoughts they've got to redirect that toxic thinking the 21 day brain detox is a very powerful tool for doing that you can you can find that at 21 daybraindetoxcom and also on my website drleaf.com and there's also a book that goes with that called Switch on Your Brain, also available at drleaf.com. We need to recognize the power of the mind to change the brain. We need to recognize and teach from very young. I have worked with children as young as three, teaching them that your mind is not your brain. Your mind is separate from your brain. You're a spirit, mind, and body. And with your mind, you change your brain. Your brain doesn't tell you what to do. You tell your brain what to do. You're not a victim of your biology. You're a victor over and above your biology. These are principles that you can teach from very young. And I have programs teaching this, teaching how to apply this on an emotional level, these principles of the mind can change the brain on an emotional level and on an educational level. Very important that we also learn correctly. As you direct your attention and as you learn, very often, well, not very often, you will find that as you are learning, you also as you are learning, you can get your emotional issues under control. So directing your mind in an intellectual direction helps.
helps tremendously with emotional stuff. Okay, so then meds. Let's talk about meds and mental health. I spoke about the problem of associating mental health with violence and that this is not correct. What we have to do is therapists in the mental health profession that can include psychiatrists, psych- psychologists, and various people in mental health. They have to they have to be very focused on listening to the patient. Do therapy. Listen. Ask the patient what is your story. Don't just within ten minutes do a checklist and label them, diagnose and put them on a drug. This is not the solution. This is not scientific. This is not accurate. This is not what PCP should be doing. This is not what psychologists should be doing or psychotherapists. We should be listening, loving all the principles that I have been teaching. We need to have awareness campaigns of the dangers of medications. On my website, I have links to incredible researchers and scientists like Dr. Peter Bregan, like Dr. Peter Gotcher, like Mad in America, Robert Whitaker, so many people that are doing the most phenomenal research showing that we have been lied to when it comes to these psychiatric drugs. They are not the solution. They increase aggression. They increase the chance of homicide, suicide, and so on. So if you have a toxic mind, adverse childhood circumstances, toxic mind, and drugs, you have toxicity piled upon toxicity, piled upon toxicity. So we need to stop that, stop the labels. We need to come back to dealing with the whole person which has been scientifically shown to to be the correct way. Lots of information on my website and in my books to help with this and help to do to, to create these awareness campaigns and changes and to learn how to listen. I actually teach that in my in my materials. Then technology. We need to limit the use of technology. I have a great podcast um, on social media, on iTunes, um, where I talk about technology. I've also got information on it in my book, Switch on Your Brain. And we need to limit use. The average person is using technology for eight hours a day. It's way too much. We should be using it around about two hours per day. Very important for a healthy and toxic brain is to limit technology, to also do a lot of interacting with people, talking with people, reading, thinking, answering, 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 asking questions, discussing, being on your own, all those kinds of things need, we need for a health, for, for mental health. Control video games. What kind of video games are your children playing? How long are they spending on them? Are they just choosing a certain type of video game? We need to watch this. We need to, can't, we can't just let our kids go and play games. What are they watching? What are they focusing on? What are they thinking? What are the drawings that they're drawing? Look at the, look at what the, the art, the post the notes etc etc I have to make a note there a side note here do not invade your child's privacy be very careful of losing their trust so obviously if you're very worried about your child and you may need to check what's going on in their room but always always work it get some sort of balance you need to trust your child the more you show trust in your child the more you will actually have your child trusting you and the truth will come out one more thing about technology um, internet searches can be tracked to identify patterns so we technology is fantastic in that way in terms of helping to identify patterns of people that are showing signs of of various different toxic levels that are starting to develop. Then gun control needs to be very, very tight. We need to take extensive histories. And as I spent quite a long time explaining, as I've um, earlier on, we I recommend a minimum of a year before a license is issued so that all these different the technology patterns, the, the, the history, the background, um, maybe some therapeutic intervention, all these things can be identified. And this may be an amazing tool for the community getting involved in a mental health search as well. This means people like the police, etc., would have to be trained in these skills, and this can be done. These are trainings that are possible. Thank you. This is Dr. Caroline Leaf.